0: Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, and part of the Tennis Channel podcast network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy in Paris. We have a correspondent on the grounds. Uh, Amy, how's it been? How, how's it going over there?
2: Bonsoir. I'm I'm working on my French. I'm getting c'est bon. I'm getting very good at it. Um, it's been a great tournament so far. From your eyes, there there maybe has been some. Swirl about, you know, Wimbledon's announcement and then some talk about that. The players have been asked about it in the press conferences. But being here really as the fan, from my eyes, none of that is happening. And fans here, the French crowds are talking about the French players that are doing really well. This and the Jean Jean and the Gilles Simone, and they're really excited about the home crowd, home team, and um, it's like whatever's going on with Wimbledon doesn't really register with the average fan here, so it's really great to be here just as a fan and see the Grand Slams from um, a close-up perspective and a different perspective than you see when you watch at home, which is also a great way to enjoy a Grand Slam, but I'm just sort of less aware of the controversy that are swirling around and more aware of little details that don't really get talked about on tv
1: so how is it seeing the, the tennis up close i mean also this year the uh, all the fans are there i mean there are no, heart restrictions on attendance so how is the whole the whole energy of being around roland Garros again
2: it's good it's crowded it's as crowded as it was before the pandemic it's a little muted, maybe because of COVID. Um, Anecdotally, there's just not as much alcohol for sale. And um, it's just um, the lines are a little bit longer to get wherever if you want to buy something or if you want food or whatever. So it's, it's not quite as festive as it has been in years past, but it is super crowded and there's a lot of interest.
1: When, uh, when I went to Paris, I haven't been there in a few years, but I went to that tournament. I would enjoy the, um, the hot dog and the croissant and the Dijon mustard, very um, kind of spicy and lively. What's, uh, what's what? And it, it, it connected to me. Like I felt like I was as close as I could come to eating clay, kind of being around it. What's your... Uh, What's your French Open Roland Garros treat food of choice?
2: Well, last night we were able to watch the Nadal match and Châtrier, and we actually got to go to a little reception beforehand in one of the little tented areas. And it was the Alcaraz match was on in the reception. So it was really interesting being there and and people were much more i mean they were watching the match and they were engaged in it but they were much more focused on the food which was really good it was like classic food and and champagne and all that um and it was like good applause for alcaraz but i was the only one in a hundred people saying great forehand you know way to take that down the line you know and people were just Looking at me, so told me that Alcaraz hasn't quite like to us. He's the hottest thing going. We know his every move. We know exactly, you know, how many sets this clay season. But to the more casual fan, albeit tennis fan, um, just now starting to register as a household name.
0: He's not on the radar yet of the French aristocracies, right?
1: Well, and I forgot. Here I'm talking about my hot dog. I think uh, next time I go to Paris, I'm going to go with you, Amy, to hit the sweet and have the whole. Uh, have what's going on there? It sounded like some good food. I mean, that hot dog is pretty good, but uh, you got something else going.
2: Yeah, I- yeah, the cheeses and uh, uh, um, desserts. I had some sort of a pistachio puff. Really good French food. <laughs>
1: wow, I'm green with envy.
0: I've been in the the Legends (laughs) box at the U.S. Open. One of the most impressive buffets, maybe the most impressive buffet that that I've ever experienced. So uh, Djokovic and Nadal are through to round three. Both have spent nearly identical time on court, a little bit over four hours. Djokovic going through. uh, Yoshi Nishioka really easily in round one. Uh, Then uh, a tough opponent in Alex Molchan and Vida in the opposite coaching box, and the third set got a little tricky there. Djokovic was just a couple of points away from losing the third set on a few occasions, uh, but he wins it in a tie break and gets through Molchan. Uh, Nadal, on the other hand, Jordan Thompson, 2-2-2 two, two, and two in round one, and then Corinton Mute 6-3, 6-1, 6-4. In the second round. So zero sets dropped Djokovic and Nadal, Amy, I think you've seen both of them live. If I'm not mistaken, um, Yes. your impressions,
2: you know, I think maybe the, the emotion might have gotten to Novak in that third set, he is a human being and he loves Marion and you know, it, it, closing out the match may have been something that he lost his focus a little bit. But I thought that he has played very clean tennis. And he's, um, like Nadal, he has maximized or minimized his time on court. And we know how important that is at a Grand Slam, particularly this Grand Slam. Uh, unlike Alcaraz Tsitsipas, um, you know, these guys are winning and so it's what they do. It's what the three do.
1: Well, it's the experience. It's the experience. And then it's also the non-experience of the opponents who haven't played these uh, as many of these kind of events, as many best of five matches, the whole pacing. I mean, there's a whole energy management through playing a, a potentially five set match. And obviously Nadal and Djokovic are as good as anyone who's ever done that and tennis and you see Nadal though, I saw, I saw a few points in the, in the first round in particular versus Thompson. I thought, all right, here's the rough express. I mean, we labor through the clay. We, what we saw things we saw this and that and kind of the foot and take time off it. Here he is ready to go. It, it's like, it's like owning slams. It reminds me of when uh, Pete Sampras kind of stumbled through the spring, the clay, get it going a little bit on grass, right, right at Wimbledon. Here I am in my house.
0: Yeah, I think if you are watching those Nadal matches very kind of closely and you are trying to look for, I don't know what kind of form he's in, you come away from it thinking, oh, wow, like it, he's he's there. He's really good right now. Uh, but, you know, we know and we've spoken about this in the past, there's just different levels of intensity that better opponents will bring. And in Thompson and Moutet, Nadal faces two underpowered opponents. They just don't have a lot of muscle. And as a result, I feel like Nadal's forehand in both matches has come out and and looks like the Incredible Hulk, like the shot that is the big mean bully on the court. Now, that is a good sign that Nadal's forehand has been so overwhelming, but I'm very curious to see what it looks like in round three against Botik von de
2: Does this surprise you? I just read the statistic that the average forehand speed of Rafa Nadal is one kilometer per hour less than Igas Fiantex. Do
1: you awesome. believe that? So far, in, in two matches this week or in what?
2: Yeah, in two matches. Yeah, um,
1: that makes me feel really... Um,
2: now the spin is significantly more. Yes. Um, but, you know, when I was watching Rafa last night, I made some notes because I don't get to see him in person every day. And it, the first thing that popped out to me is how good his defense was. It wasn't actually the forehand. It was at, at his age, 36, this amazing ability to go back and and the, the spin, really, we think of like Rafa's forehand as being this offensive weapon, and he makes this, uh, this noise, but the spin is the margin. So in a way, that's the defense. Um, so in one stroke, his topspin forehand, he has both offense, defense, and, and neutral, by the way. So the, the defense of Nadal really, and it's deceptive because you think he's offensive, but he's also, you know, one of the greatest defensive players ever.
1: Well, I think our great homework assignment is to figure out a, a term that transcends offense and defense. I mean, that's something other than just because, yeah, defense implies <clears throat> I've hit this ball. I'm about to be hurt. And your point about the spin and the height is that where exactly is Nadal in a position to be hurt? By a subsequent shot. And so there's a whole dynamic going on. I wrote this story about why I think the term um, clay court specialist should be abolished because it's kind of clay court tennis defines how the game is played. It's more like you say, who's a grass court specialist and how they, I mean, the clay court specialist is the more complete contemporary kind of player. And you look at Nadal and yeah, it's well, okay. He's way behind the court and sometimes the ball goes kind of short, but what's that mean short the service line it's kind of high and what are you going to do with that
0: well we don't agree on the offense defense thing I love those terms think they're very, very it's very uh useful to try to understand what they mean on a court but I don't know if if we need to have that discussion right now right. um I, I guess <laughs> how
2: about neutral I, I love that one?
0: I love neutral. Neutral's fantastic. <laughs> I'm a big believer. Um, I I like the term you like tra- sure. trading.
1: You're like from, are you like Federer? You're from Switzerland, so you're you believe in neutrality? Is that kind of I, I just- believe
0: in offense, defense, and neutral. Joel, <laughs> I love it all, and, and Nadal <laughs> definitely has it all. Look, the forehand and the margin, Amy, and the spin. You know, if if you ask me to minimize Nadal being great on clay to like one aspect. And I'm trying to explain to someone why the surface suits him so well. Uh, I'm probably going to that. I'm probably going to the violent, uh, highly aggressive, yet full of margin topspin forehand.
1: That's offensive, Highly, I like that. Highly aggressive, full of margin, topspin forehand. So again, this is my quest. This is my Don Quixote-like quest to find something that transcends offense and defense just to, to eventually find some language maybe I should talk to one of my English professors and just to find some language that transcends it because it's so it's so interesting how how the game evolves that way about what it what it really is about what Nadal is is doing out there because it's like it's like the same way I feel about the word steady I don't think it's hands is steady I think it's hands player is some of this offense defense neutral steady what does that mean I mean so it's very it's it's fascinating I mean Nadal is kind of Bjorn Borg started 50 years ago, but Nadal's really redefined what it means to be a a clay court player, a grinder, whatever, all of that.
2: I mean, it wasn't really Nadal's bread and butter forehand last night that was giving Moutet problems, um, because I watched a million of those, and I thought, Moutet is just getting his Rafa's forehand back. It was the, it was the point construction. It, when Moutet would hit his shot, that would come back off the racket of Rafa. Sometimes it would go high sometimes it would you know take a funny bounce or whatever it would just guys best was not a problem for Nadal so and that's pretty much every match you know so that, that really impressed me but just the bread and butter topspin forehand on clay you know it it, it it was not a problem. Now I, I will say every time we watch Nadal, we watch for one big thing and that's depth on his forehand and is Rafa putting that thing short around the service line. And Rafa has had good depth in his first two matches and, and he's been moving well. I haven't seen anything with the foot.
1: How's the weather Amy, because I mean, Oh, you saw a night match. So maybe you can talk about the, that, uh, that weather but also the forecast looking ahead because that often has Nadal an implications and the clay and the bounce and the thin air mm-hmm.
2: yeah um well uh, joel you wanted me to like show some like legit swag that i that i bought i this is the official towel which i bought last night i love the colors the pink it's nice um because i was freezing and it's been cold here and my friend who um, came with me olia uh we all we brought these little sundresses because i've been here when it's been 90 degrees and i i always remember that and it's been freezing we've worn jeans pretty much every day so it's cool it's breezy it's rainy it's been like spitting rain almost every day um next week i see that it warms up not into the eighties, like mid seventies, Fahrenheit, whatever our our international viewers are. Sorry, I only speak Fahrenheit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Then then remember though, remember in the October 2020, French, and we had the whole little chat about weather and Rafa, how it was gonna be mm-hmm. a little less thin. The air was gonna be a little less thin. So therefore was his ball not gonna bounce as high? <clears throat> was that gonna trouble him? That's okay. Didn't he? I believe he won the tournament again without the loss of a set.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right.
0: So, I, I maintain if it's cold and, and slow, that helps Nadal against Djokovic in particular. We talked about that in 2020, just with the pace generation and, and the power. Like, I think the heavier conditions do favor uh, Rafa, even though if you ask Nadal in a, in a neutral sense, like let's say you just walk up to him at a random practice session and you say, Rafa, what are, what are your favorite conditions? He's going to say warm and lively. Uh, I just think uh, it hurts Djokovic more than it hurts uh, Nadal in that in that sense.
1: Wait, what? Are,
2: I'll, I'll say sorry. one more thing about. Con- I think I'll, go ahead.
0: I, I just think Joel, if it's too slow and heavy, uh, it it becomes sometimes difficult for Djokovic to hit through and generate offense. Ah,
1: uh-huh, so he needs some thinness to generate the, the traction through he the. He wants
0: the speed, yeah, so that his forehand can get a little help. Nadal's forehand doesn't really ever need help.
2: The one thing I was going to say about conditions is that, and I've, I've said this a million times, I got to hit on court five, a couple of years ago, and it would blew me away how hard the court was, how it was like a hard court in many ways. So like, I haven't seen or heard this talked about, this was just my impression. So isn't like the green hard true that we play on in the United States. That was Monte Carlo because I also hit at Monte Carlo. That was more like the green hard true. So I read a quote from Rublev today talking about how Medvedev have done well in this tournament so far. And Rublev said some of the courts here, are a hard court. So that would benefit Novak and it would also benefit uh, Medvedev and, and Rublev.
1: Rublev said about some of the courts, about some of the courts, is that right? Yeah,
2: so, I, now I don't know about Chaitanya. Unfortunately, I did not get to hit on yeah, but I, mean, <laughs> I,
1: think, I think there's pretty much only uh, one court that Novak and uh, and Roth are gonna be putting their energy into mostly as this tournament advances to play. Um, but you're talking about the, the European clay and America and the hardship that's most common in America. I interviewed Billie Jean King a couple of weeks ago and this is the 50th anniversary of her winning Roland Garros for her one win here, <clears throat> singles nice. wins. And she that um, nice. she even though she'd grown up in California hard courts, <clears throat> the European clay was easier for her. She felt on Hartrue, she had ball bearings on her feet. You guys have played on Hartrue more than me, but mm. she felt more she felt much harder to move on Hartrue. So I guess everyone mm. has their deal. I don't know how- It's, it's
0: much play. harder for everyone to move on Hartrue. It's a terrible surface for moving.
1: No, than, <laughs> than red clay.
0: Yes, it's terrible. It's terrible to move on that. Okay. I don't I agree think with you can
2: slide on Hard True. Can you slide? I've tried. You can try. Stop at Roland Garros. You can slide on very easily because it's like if you can imagine the surface of a brick with some very light, crushed up brick dust on it, you can slide on that. On Hard True, there's no brick. It's like muddy almost, it's a it's green mud tried to slide on that I maybe did you know tell me I'm wrong
1: so do you East Coasters agree then with Billie Jean that I mean I've, I haven't played on true that often so I don't quite have that data sample that you two have that true feels hard to move on
2: in what way though is she saying it's slippery or you're stuck in it
1: ball bearings would imply slippery right like she okay is- no
2: that I think that that Roland Garros is more like that um but again this is like yeah, okay. I, I may not know what I'm talking about. I feel that hard true is like you get stuck in it. So you can't slide on it.
0: And I, I think it's slippery, Like oh, okay. I think there's very okay. little traction. Okay. So I'm with BJ, okay. BJK. Um, let's uh, I, I think the main headline coming out of the, the first two rounds and Amy, you mentioned it is uh, how easily Nadal and Djokovic were able to take compare Uh, take care of business compared to the other two favorites to win this event in Alcaraz and Tsitsipas Uh, time on court for Nadal and Djokovic, as I mentioned, four hours, 11 and four hours, 14 Uh, Djokovic, slightly longer for Alcaraz, six hours, 24. And for Tsitsipas seven hours, 40. So you have a pretty big difference there, especially with Stefanos, um, just struggling in, in both of his opening two, two matches, Joel, how do you think, how important do you think it is? Um, and, and why do you think our three have been able to so consistently get out of this first week, drama-free, boring tennis?
1: Meat and potatoes, business as usual. And I think, I think for the other guys, they're, they're being, The hunted—they're not as experienced. For Alcaraz and Tsitsipas, I think Tsitsipas, his matches. I was watching him today in this match where he won the first two sets against a a, a qualifier. Was a qualifier or just uh, and uh, Mm -hmm. and just laboring. And I think that's kind of a little bit of his his plight with the also the one-handed backhand. One-handed backhand is going to force you to work harder because you got to do so much. You got to guard the one-hander. You got to use that as a shield. You got to pit big with the forehand. You got a lot of things to protect and looked out there. The two-hander, like, Novak is just so efficient. It's just so efficient. And also, as you said, the opponents that Novak and Rafa have had, have not exactly been um, particularly powerful. I mean, these aren't the most most dangerous kinds of opponents. Whereas Alcaraz had a very dangerous one versus uh, Romas Dinoos yesterday, right? That was very, um, very challenging. And... uh, And Titsipas, I don't know, I think, and and Musetti, very challenging, also a good clay court kind of guy. So that's kind of the, the luck of the draw. I don't know what would have happened if Novak had played Musetti again, who last year had him down two sets to love. But nonetheless, it's obviously important, like Amy said, in any slam, much less this, particularly this slam, to get through those early matches quickly.
0: Alcaraz is an alien. So I think he's going to be fine. But Tsitsipas really does need to, uh, he needs a quick one next round. Michael Emer, then things get tough. Like he, this will come back to hurt him. And then we could have a wide open bottom half. If Tsitsipas doesn't start to recover and buck this trend. Um, uh, it's just it, it the, the off days seem so few and far between sometimes with uh, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic through the years um, at the slams in these early rounds. I mean, it is just amazing how reliable they have made these stadium court matches snooze fests. You know? <laughs> I mean. Yeah.
1: So Seatsfest also wants to get himself off the night shift. He's that had too, two of those. And I think he's going to say, okay, guys, I've done my quota. For, yep. for for this year put me back on the day shift give me a sunday afternoon give me a nice you know, give me a nice uh, straight setter on longland i'm out of here good night here's there. a
2: here's a question for you guys um and i i despite having this my fourth g i don't know the answer to this because i don't pay that close attention to how they schedule but will djokovic and N- be on Chatrier now for the rest. Like no more long one for them.
1: They've, have they not. each had a long one?
2: Um, Novak had long one, right?
1: Novak yes. had long but Rafa has not. I don't yeah, know if, but, I, yes. I, right. I suspect I suspect for it, it's always tricky when they're on the same half of the draw. That's the tricky thing because you've got days and you've got nights and then it's like a so series of choices. We'd rather have a day on long one or a night on Chautier. So, I just right.
2: don't know if the Griffin Adal win the last time he's a long one or if he gets, it's just a Chautier deal for he's him. Not, I don't
1: know. He's had long one. I mean, I'm, I don't, I have to look back, but I know he's had, he's often had at least one on long one. It's just, and it's like, and, and by the way, just, it's funny. When I'm at, sometimes at tournaments and among, this is a real inside the belt lay stuff about court assignments. I don't think the players care a rip really too much about it if it's one of those stadiums too much but I, I don't know mm-hmm. if on the same half well look the half then there's going to be their quarterfinal if they meet in the quarters so that that's obviously yeah Saturday. that'll
2: obviously yeah
1: and then they'll have some the rest- reason
2: I ask is we have tickets for Longlin on Saturday and we're trying to figure out like who will we see will we you know have a shot of seeing those two guys but I I feel like it would probably Novak's probably done his duty on on Longlin.
1: But I'll say this. I'll say this as tournament again, there are other matches in in the jigsaw puzzle. Um, if I'm Rafa or Novak, I'd say the tournament, you know what? I'll take a Longlin over a night over a night match. I need yeah. I don't wanna I don't wanna play and I don't wanna play I wanna play at this at this tournament in particular, I wanna play as few night matches as possible. I mean, because that yeah. has sleep implications. Yep. And all of that, so I would say to them. I don't care. I'll take a I'll take a Matu over a night match, over playing. Oh,
2: it. the the Matu um, is the most charming court. I mean, I love Longland. That's one of my favorite courts in tennis. But uh, Matu is amazing. What they've done, it, it's just it's sad. It's just too small for those guys.
1: No, those guys yeah. aren't going to plan it. But I just think for them, I think they're going to. I think their um, team is saying to the tournament, "Hey, as things go on, we'll t- I'll take a long one, please." What do you think, Gil? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I don't think they want to play at night, and I think uh, I think that is uh, Rafa during Rome was requesting day sessions. Uh, that was reported, uh, so so we knew we knew how he felt over the course of that tournament, and I think Nadal knows that he needs to do either one or two night sessions, So I think he's glad to get it out of the way early in the tournament against a player like Mute. So I agree with that, Joel. Um, next up for, uh, for Djokovic is uh, Aljaz Bedne. I'm, I'm always kind of tepid about his first name. I think it's Aljaz. Um, I, I always
2: have... say Bedne, but I could be wrong about that. I could be I... wrong.
0: I think it's Bednay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I don't have that much to say about Bednay. Uh I do know that he is uh, one in 22 against top 10 players in his career. And uh, I just I've always just looked at him as a player who really struggles when he gets up to the the elite level and isn't someone who's generally very dangerous and uh uh, he's played Novak once in Rome in 2017. Djokovic won uh, 7-6, 6-2. Do you guys, uh, oh, they also played at the Australian Open in 2015. That was also straight sets for Djokovic. A- any thoughts on, on Bedne or comments on, on his game?
1: I think I'm not so much concerned about him. I'm thinking about this is the stage after we've kind of gotten into tournaments. You know, now we enter act two of the tournament. First two rounds are act one. Now we're in the, um, now we're in the uh, what, 32 stage. So now we start to look for really signs of Novak's form. You know, and maybe some of his versatility.
0: Do we though? Because he's playing Bednay. so I I don't know.
1: This is where we look to see, I'm not saying Novak has to serve in volley 40 times, but I'm saying this is where we look to see is Novak doing some of the things that are gonna help him get on the path to winning the tournament? Not all of them, but just what's his, I talked about research and development in our last show and this took mm-hmm. if there's a way he knows he can play a certain kind of way and win this match fairly handily, but maybe is he going to just broaden it a little bit just to get a few more show things? Because I, I have a hard time seeing him losing this match, but again, it's just a question of how, how drama free he makes it for himself.
2: Yeah, I think Ben will be, he's underpowered a little bit. Um, he will uh, will Novak, you know, try to do some experimentation? I think this is, as I said last time, I think these rounds are the dog days of the tournament. And so the focus, if you're Novak, I think tends to dial up just a little bit. And uh, I think he'll try to polish him off faster rather than, than take some time to experiment.
1: Oh, no, I didn't think, I didn't think experimentation. I think experiment can, take, can make it take less time. I don't think experiments necessarily takes more time. It could maybe win some points faster.
2: Yeah, I mean, good this point. Is,
1: this is kind of like a, this is, I mean, this is a fairly, uh, you know, this would be like a staggering upset if it, if, <laughs> if, if he lost or even lost. a Yeah. yeah. I mean, you said, bet, bet, it's like uh, a is an opponent like that. Some guys mm-hmm. had a nice. Yeah. Career, but- I, I
0: think I like Barankas a little, a little bit. more just a little bit in terms of what he can do when he tries to get super offensive and redline his game. Uh, you know, Bednay, um, he's, he's solid off both wings and he hits the ball well, but he's very much like your, uh, uh, stock stock pro, you know, stock like fifties ranked pro
1: like the ones Novak created. I mean, Novak has created kind of the template of how a lot of guys play tennis today. Nice, solid game. Pretty good. I mean, look, he's a pro. He's a great, the great player in the third round of a major, right. but uh, now you're up against the great, you know, big time 20 slam winner.
0: Von de Zanskulp for Nadal, someone who's made a lot more noise during the clay court season had a, a great run in um, Munich where uh, he made the final and had to retire, unfortunately uh, in that final, uh, but he beat rude and he beat Ketsmanovich and he, uh, He beat Fanini in straight sets in the previous round. He's uh, the world number 29. Uh, So now this is your more typical third round opponent, I would say, where, okay, you get a seed and uh, Van de Zanskulp is a a pretty strong seed in my estimation, and also someone who has been really good best of five, uh, generally speaking, in his uh, his young career. Amy, I, I know you and I both, said before Mm -hmm. the draw came out that that he was a guy in in Nadal's section.
2: Yeah, we called that one. And to me, this one says danger, Will Robinson, because this guy has been playing really well. Uh, He's great on clay, uh, good mentality, um, calm under pressure, good serve, good spot server. You know, observing Nadal the other night, I I was reminded of how well he volleys and, um, how he sees the opportunity to come forward and volley a lot faster than the average bear on tour. Mm -hmm. So I I would definitely give Nadal the edge in that category over Botic, Um, but I think he's going to need to volley in this match, um, to close out the points and, and take command pretty quickly within the rallies.
1: Yeah. There are going to be some really good, this is going to be a really good match. And I'm not saying it's going to be a great five setter. It might even be a straight setter, but it's going to be, I think there's gonna be a lot of interesting points. And then we're going to see, we're going to see the way Nadal has kind of over the course of his reign in Paris, redefine what clay court excellence is. You know, this is where this is, again, this is my, my search for the transcendent offense defense. It's like, what is Nadal doing out there? That is just unbelievable. The, the movement, the, the starting to return from a, a, se- a, a seemingly classically defensive position, but then quickly grabbing into the point, And he's going to be playing an opponent who's got, some, who's got a, a lot of tools. I mean, that's a pretty good group of people he beat recently.
0: Yeah. Uh, Wanda Zanskulp um, doesn't crush the ball, but he's got fantastic movement. He doesn't look fast. But he's super fast, and I don't I don't know where it comes from because he just looks like a a normal guy who uh, you wouldn't maybe even spot as a as a professional athlete. But he's super fast. He's very consistent. He defends his backhand well. He's got enough juice on the forehand to do damage when he has the chance to do it. Uh, the one thing he doesn't really do very well as serve. The technique is strange. It doesn't help him out much. And I think that's one of the reasons why the clay is nice for him because he can get into plenty of return games to make up for the fact that sometimes he's going to be broken because his serve isn't helping him out much. Uh, But he's a really, really tough player from the baseline.
1: Well, Nadal, though, that's good. That's, That's helpful for him because Nadal is a consistent returner. He's not necessarily a punishing returner. He's a consistent returner and and again um what you described about let's see doesn't seem like a professional athlete doesn't hit the ball that hard um seems to get there yeah that strikes me as a keen student of the game you know that his game is a greater than some of his parts and he understands how to how to create points very interesting very that's very edifying i think um pointing to our recreational angle this is a this is a learning this match is a learning opportunity this is different The Novak match is going to be watching someone who's playing a Novak who does a lot of the same things all better. And I think that's going to be, no matter what happens, that's what we're going to kind of see. Whereas um, this match is going to be, this is a whole different kind of matchup.
2: And keep an eye on Nadal's arm position. I was looking at that the other night. And I tweeted that it was not. I, I thought it was maybe a step, a step and a half in from his usual Timbuktu. two. So um, I don't know why, but it, he's turning well, and and he he knows what he's doing out there. But he was um, he was climbing that ladder just a little bit quicker than he normally does because of his uh, closer return position.
0: And maybe that's because you know, Mute is a pretty slow server and he, he felt, okay, I don't need the extra time. Let me step in yeah. and, and be a little bit more offensive. And maybe he could do the same thing against Botic who serves a little bit bigger than Mute, but again, still not very big. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be hard work though, because again, BVDZ BB, a great scrambler really doesn't miss a lot. Um, you, like the initials uh, really doesn't miss a lot, has a lot of skill. Uh, just moves the ball around nicely, constructs points, as you were saying, Joel. Uh, should be a fun one. Uh, Djokovic, Bedene, Nadal against Botic as we move towards round three. And Amy, uh, enjoy the rest of uh, enjoy the rest of the time in Paris.
2: Au revoir. Au revoir. That'll,
0: that'll do it for this episode of Three. Remember, we're available on all podcast platforms. We appreciate it if you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify, and if you're watching on YouTube like, comment, and subscribe. We'll see you next time on the
2: next episode of three.